0: The message of tonight is Monica, Monica, um, that's her last name, her first name was Har, just seeing if you're paying attention, Har Monica, no, okay, but no, Monica is her name, uh, she's, and, and, and the only reason we're talking about Monica is because of her son, and this song, He Will Hold Me Fact, speaking of Christ's love, Christ's love that holds us fast in many ways is kind of like that mother's love that won't let go. And that was Monica. Monica was a tiger mom. And uh, we'll talk about it, but first let's let let's lay some context. Um, to understand who Monica is, we have to know who Augustine is. Or I, I think really, uh, uh, probably better pronounce his name Augustine, but um just to give you some appreciation, some comments made about him. And I always find it interesting if I can find what an unbeliever says, what a critic might say. So the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Stanford University, uh, there in Silicon Valley, if you will, um, here's what they said, and this is in 2019. Augustine was perhaps the greatest Christian philosopher of antiquity and certainly the one who exerted the deepest and most lasting influence. He is a saint of the Catholic Church and his authority in theological matters was universally accepted in the Latin Middle Ages and remained in the Western Christian tradition virtually uncontested until the 19th century. You know, And that's when, in the 19th century, the 1800s, that's when liberalism uh, started rising and having an influence. So he's saying really from the from the Latin period, So. Augustine is in the 300s, and uh, that's during the time when the church had moved from Greek to Latin as its primary language. Hugely influential. Uh, one church historian uh, writes this. Uh, this is from Justo Gonzalez. Throughout the Middle Ages, no theologian was quoted more often than he was. And he, was, he has thus become one of the great doctors of the Roman Catholic Church, he was also the favorite theologian of the great Protestant reformers of the 16th century. Thus Augustine, variously interpreted, has become the most influential theologian in the entire Western Church, both Protestant and Catholic. Western Church as opposed to Eastern Orthodoxy. In the short little volume, and in a helpful little volume, if ever you want a concise, simple summary of church history, Church History 101 by Sinclair Ferguson. And Sinclair Ferguson is one of those writers, if he wrote it, it's worth having his book. And even more valuable to read it, but at least you could have it. Anyway, here's what he says. Augustine's theological legacy can scarcely be exaggerated. Reformed Christians are especially indebted to him. Calvinism is sometimes called Augustinianism. He was a great and influential thinker, yet had it not been for the influence of his mentor, Ambrose, the prayer life of his mother, Monica, and the convicting words of scripture we might never have known of him, such as the grace of God and the power of his word. You might remember that Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk, and so so Augustine had just huge influence and still is is has an influence. Where did he come from? What influenced him uh, just some brief pointers he was born in 354 in tagaste on november 13th 354 a.d uh tagaste is in uh, modern day algeria so it'd kind of be in the the western side of northern africa he went to school in a nearby town called madura and eventually he went to study in carthage that was in 371 so when he was uh 17 years old at 365 is when he went to school and so he was sent away to school um, in the the smaller town uh, in 365 when he was 11 years old see his parents realized uh how gifted and intelligent he was and monica really had a heart that he was going to be used of the lord monica was a believer we'll talk about her in a little bit in 371 to 373, so shortly after he started teaching, uh, studying rhetoric in Carthage, um, his father died, and his son was born. When he was 16 years old, he uh, took a concubine as his companion, and his son was born to that union. He went back in 375 to the cost. He became, uh, then in 376, back to Carthage, back and forth. Eventually, he went to Rome. Eventually, he went um, to Milan, eventually back to Africa. We'll go into all those details, but maybe I should say that in 430, uh, 430 A.D., he died. And so he was um, born in 354 and died in 430. Now, what's significant if you kind of are a student of ancient history, this is the time when Rome was going through major collapse and, and he was an influential theologian trying to put a, an understanding. And he wrote the massively influential volume called uh, City of God. To think about the city of God versus the city of man. Seeing man's empire in view of God's rule. But we won't talk too much about that tonight. So, so why is Monica so important? Um, so I've already mentioned, Sinclair Fergan says, if it hadn't been for Monica... His, the, the preacher Ambrose, or Bishop Ambrose, his mother Monica, um, and the Bible are the things that moved him, of course the power of the Holy Spirit, and transformed his life. And he was deeply grateful for his mother's influence. Now how do we know, by the way, about Augustine? Uh, he wrote a book called Confessions. Confessions it's in the form of a prayer he's talking to the whole book he's talking to god and in his book confessions what's interesting is most literate students of literature would say this is the first autobiography written you know it just it just was an unusual concept so so he wrote these prayerful confessions to the lord and in it he spoke specifically uh, a good deal about his his mother's influence, as well as others. He he wrestles with his his youth. He he wrestles with. He showed how he wrestled with sin, how he came to know the Lord. So it's a very uh, and many will read this book today in an English translation, or perhaps in Latin. But that is where we learn of much of his life, and that is where we learn, especially where he we, we learn of his mother. Now, how did she have such an influence? And if I were to give one word to it, I would say prayer. If you gave me two words, I would say persistence and prayer. Monica, and this is not a, a theological term, but if you will, I would, I would classify Monica as a, uh, a pit bull in her ferocious perseverance for the heart of her son. She had incredible trust in the Lord she had an incredible zeal for the Lord and all and because of that love for the Lord she all the more grieved for her wayward and prodigal son for that is what he was so she was passionate in her prayer and persistent in her prayer and she she chased after him in perseverance encouraging exhorting reaching out to like like uh, reaching out to uh, bring him to Ambrose, reaching to a, a bishop in the, in and to try and intervene with him in, in Carthage. So she wouldn't let go. She wouldn't let go of the Lord in prayer, and she wouldn't let go um, in dealing with him. And she struggled with the um, with the process. Uh, at at one point, she she banned him from her home because of the way he was living. Wouldn't sit at the table with him because of the way he was living. Eventually, she welcomed him back. She struggled. Uh, Augustine was re- raised in a home where his mother was, as, as you can gather already, a godly woman. Monica was raised in a Christian home. And there's some things when you read history, you think, now, why did they do that? So his Christian parents, you know, that's back back then you arranged marriages, uh, his Christ, her Christian parents arranged a marriage with a pagan uh, his, so Augustine's father Monica's husband was a, was a pagan he did not know Christ he worshipped the Punic gods um, he had two siblings that we know of that lived to adulthood both of them came to know Christ as savior as well his father came to faith in his last year of his life uh, he died in 371 uh, he came to faith in 370 from what we can understand from the confessions he was not an easy man to live with he was often harsh and difficult and he lived the way of a pagan and monica basically tried to live first peter three in reaching out to him by God's grace, he came to know the Lord before he died. So, Augustine was born in the Stargasta. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it's pronounced, but near Hippo, a modern day Algeria. Um, his father's name was Patricius. He was a middle income farmer, is how he's described in, in, by one author, or by John Pop- Piper. But he, he too recognized the giftedness of his son. You know, he just stood out, and I don't know what that meant, but somehow they, you know, you just, they just recognized he is brilliant and can go places. And so his father sought to get him the best possible education in, in rhetoric. And probably most of you did not decide to pursue a degree in rhetoric. Uh, public speaking. But that was also the, the, the path to being a, a professor That was the path of being a person of influence, perhaps in politics or law. And so he he wanted him to pursue that, and and so he sacrificed. At one point, their money ran out, and, and Augustine had to come home for a year. Someone else stepped forward and helped with the finances. So at first, he went to the town about 20 miles away from the ages of 11 to 15 to, if you will, go to boarding school and study under rhetoric master's. Then he went to Carthage from age 17 to 20, where he furthered his studies. Um, and Augustine was 16 when his father came to know the Lord. When Augustine was getting ready to go off to Carthage, if you will, it was kind of almost like a graduate school or something in terms of uh, a, the rise, in, in. though he was young, what we would consider for graduate school. Um, he was going off to Carthage. It was a bigger city and farther from home. Monica wasn't the first mother to anxiously pray for the spiritual influences that would affect her son away at school, especially since she knew um, he didn't know the Lord. He didn't have a heart for the Lord. He had lived a life of, um, uh, of sin and rebellion. In his confessions, he speaks of some of the matters. One of the stories that, I, that strikes me is you know, he, he hung out with um, not the best company, and, and it was an influence in, in, in some of these guys. And like, one of the things he wrote that troubled him later is uh, there was a farmer who had a, a, a lovely pear tree just loaded with pears. And the boys shook it out, took all the pears. And, and as uh, Augustine, I don't even know if he ate one of them. I mean, he, just, he said it wasn't because of need. It was just to do the stealing. And a the lady—that's just so you know—it would be one thing to say I was starving, I was hungry. We saw an opportunity, we stole. We were poor, we needed the money, we stole. It was no, it was just to be mean, wicked, sinful, and and that just to him that was a picture of his heart, let alone in the in the moral realms. As he headed off to um, Carthage, his mother warned him about moral purity. He did not listen. He did not follow her urgings. He fell into sin, as I mentioned. He took upon himself a concubine. He did, never did marry. He was with her for 15 years. Had a son together. While he was in Carthage, he encountered a religion called Manichaeanism. I need my teleprompter so I can read these words. Hard, different words. Uh, it's, it's an it's a I was going to say Iranian religion. It was a Persian religion. Modern day Iran. Persian religion that, that taught uh, this dualism. There's a, a good you know if you will a good God, a bad God a good influence, a bad influence. There's spirit and matter. So it kind of fit well with some aspects of Greek philosophy. He was enamored of it and, and fell into it. So not only fell into immorality, he fell into a false anti-Christian religion. And she was deeply troubled. Now here's uh, some words from uh, Uh, from the confessions Um, Monica was devastated she cried rivers of tears here's where it starts she cried rivers of tears and visited the local bishop pressuring him to talk to his her son maybe some of you have been through that or know someone who has they have a wayward child or wayward influence and so they go to the local preacher and say you've got to fix my boy the bishop refused, which was a reaction um, Augustine later realized was a good idea. He didn't think Augustine was ready for discussion. He was quote, and here's from Confessions: puffed up, "Puffed up with the novelty of that heresy." Um, let me see if I've got a longer quote. Uh, here's here here here's from confessions thou didst grant her then another answer by a priest of thine a certain bishop reared in thy church well versed in your books god speaking this is confessions to god he when this woman his mother had entreated that he would vouchsafe to have some talk with me to refute my errors unteach me evil things and teach me good for this was in the habit of he was in the habit of doing when he found people fitted to receive it. So he was good at reaching out to people and getting them on the right path. He refused, this bishop refused, very prudently as I afterwards came to see. For he answered, I was still unteachable, being inflated with the novelty of that heresy, and I'd already perplexed diverse, inexperienced persons with vexatious questions. Hey, when's the last time you were... Um, Perplexed with, diver, uh, with vexatious questions. So was, he, he was brilliant, and so people were a little intimidated. They'd try and set him on the right path, and, and he, they, he'd knocked them off the path. So the, but the bishop went on, but leave him alone for a time, saith he. Only pray God for him. He will of himself by reading discover what the error is and how great its impiety. He disclosed to her at the same time how he himself, when a little one, had by his misguided mother been given over to to the Manichaeans. So he too had been under their influence. He not only read, but even had written out almost all their books and had come to see without argument or proof from anyone how much that sect was to be shunned, and he shunned it. So he's saying, I was raised in that stuff. And the best argument against it is to read their writings <laughs> because I read that and said this is not, I, I've got to break from this when he said this and she would not be satisfied now, see that argument would have convinced me that wasn't good enough it's my son we're talking about here uh, she repeated all the more earnestly her entreaties shedding copious tears that he would see and discourse with me he a little vexed at her importunity exclaimed go your way And God bless you, for it is not possible the son of these tears should perish. So she came and said, you got to go convince my son. And he said, you know what? He's not in a teachable place. You know, frankly, there's wisdom in that. If someone is not willing to hear, what what did Jesus say? You know, don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't think you can... You know, if someone is in that state of being. And so this bishop had the wisdom to recognize that's where he was. His arrogance and his own intelligence made him a harder target. Just like the, you know, the, the, the rich are hard to win, the intelligent are, are in the pride of intellect and the pride of accomplishment can be hard to win. And so he said, uh, let him discover for himself the folly of this religion. But she wasn't ready to give up so easily. But then the, this word that she took to heart as a word from the Lord, when he said, go your way, and God bless you, it is not possible a son of these tears should perish. Well, he was basically saying, if, your mother, if his mother is going to pray so fervently, with such passion for him, God will answer that prayer. Um. So as I said, she took that as a word from God. So after teaching in Carthage for a while, uh, uh, which is also in North Africa, um, from ages 19 to 30, he then moved to Rome and then eventually to Milan. So he was offered a professorship in Rome. Monica got wind of it and thought, man, if Carthage is bad, what's going to happen when he goes to Rome? And so she begged Augustine not to go. Now, so again, here he is, 19, 20 years old. And she is, she's praying. She's trying to get others to intervene. She's going herself and saying, don't go, don't go to that place. It's going to pollute you. And he reassured her that he would not leave. He said, you go home. And I've just got to go down to the dock and see some friends off. That's all. That's all I'm going to do. And he, she went home trusting him, and he went down to the dock, loaded up his son and concubine, and headed off to Rome. So you see the kind of person he was. Hard to reach, stubborn, arrogant. I say those harsh words. If he were standing here, he would say, come on, Drake, you're being too easy on me. <laughs> so, well, he would say that in Latin. But, but you get the idea. And so um, off he sailed in the middle of the night while she slept. So she she traveled to Rome. You know, By now her husband, she's a widow. Her two other grown children are believers. She's not going to let go of the Lord. She's not going to let go of him. So she goes to Rome. By the time she got there and tracked him down, he'd already moved on to Milan. He had a difficult time. The students of, of Rome were, were just hard to deal with. Not intellectually, but undisciplined, arrogant, this sort of thing. So... So he traveled off to a teaching position he got in Rome and she tracked him down there. Have you ever heard the expression the hound of heaven? Well, she was the hound of uh, North Africa. <laughs> she was going to hunt him down. Do, do you see the persistence of this woman? And, and believe me, it was not all her I've got a plan. I, I know what to do. It was the whole time she was seeking the Lord for his soul. So she found him. Here's again, John Piper says, his mother Monica who had prayed for him all his life had come to Milan in the spring of 385 and had begun to arrange a proper marriage for him with a well-to-do Christian family there. I have a problem with that. He's an immoral uh, unbeliever. caught up in a false religion. Why would you probably try and seek a Christian wife for him. You know, sometimes our plan to fix people, I'll do this. And so her idea is, well, I'll rescue him for immorality by getting him a good marriage with a good Christian girl. That's not really very kind to the Christian girl, is it? Uh, and, but so maybe things were, they weren't thinking clearly enough about un- being unequally yoked. That's what her parents did to her. So he sent his concubine back to Africa, and took another concubine and didn't pursue the marriage. While she was there in Milan, so now we're up in Italy, Rome and Milan are in Italy, she started attending a church pastored by Bishop Ambrose. He was very well known and highly regarded uh, for his preaching. Um, Brilliant uh, preaching that just was very well known. And she heard this great preacher. She listened to his sermons, and guess what she did? She got the uh, podcast for the sermons. (laughs) No, she—you can imagine she wouldn't let. What did she do? Augustine, you got to come hear this guy. Augustine, you got to hear this guy. Well, he heard about him, and—and here's again uh, this historian Gonzales, Justo Gonzales says Monica, who was with the latter in Milan, insisted he should hear Ambrose's sermons. As a professor of rhetoric, Augustine agreed to attend the services led by the most famous speaker in Milan. You know, if you're teaching rhetoric, and this guy is basically the most famous speaker in this this large city, certainly you should go hear him. So his initial purpose was not to hear what Ambrose had to say, but to see how he said it. However, as time went by, he found that he was listening to the bishop less as a professional and more as a seeker. So he went to listen more as maybe to critique, but also if this guy is such a persuasive and popular speaker, what can I learn from him about that's my trade? But in the process, he heard the message. And God used God's word to speak to his heart. But Augustine wrestled with his own wickedness and his own immorality. And he was just anxious and wrestling through, what do I do? How do I handle this? Here's how one uh, writes it. One afternoon, and this is a famous story you probably have heard, he wrestled anxiously about such matters while walking in his garden. Suddenly heard a child's sing song voice repeating, Take up and read. Tole legge, tole legge. So here's this voice. And it seems like such an odd thing to be saying. And so he went inside thinking, What does this mean? Is is this some and there was a book laying on the table from a friend that was with him, a collection of Paul's epistles. He picked it up and read the first thing he saw. And here's what he read. Not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lusts and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. He later said, No further would I read, nor needed I. For instantly at the end of the sentence by a light as if it were of serenity infused my heart and all darkness of doubt vanished away. See, he'd been wrestling with his own lustful, sinful heart. He hears these words, go and read. He picks up and starts reading in Paul's epistle and what's it do? It says, forget the path of wantonness, of immorality, of wickedness. Arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all that he'd been hearing from his mother, from Ambrose, uh, from other influences, he now took to heart and he embraced Christ as Savior. Light broke into the darkness. God graciously won Augustine to himself. Yes, he had a, a, a persistent, persevering um, prayerful mother but God was more persevering and God was not going to let him go either and he was using working through the prayers of his mother and through the influences of people like Ambrose to move him to himself but again as I read from the very beginning Stanford philosophical encyclopedia as so many others would tell you one of the greatest theological minds of the of the er, several early centuries, right up leading up into the time of Aquinas and then the Reformation, highly regarded even today. You cannot explain Augustine without thinking about Monica, and so when he wrote, um, when he wrote his Confessions, Monica got lots of attention. Monica had a prodigal son. And, and we know the, that account of the prodigal son in Luke. But we know the prodigal son often in life experience. Maybe some of you have spent time as a prodigal. Maybe some of you have had that prodigal in your life. You understand the pain, the heartache, the tears a prodigal can cause. What do you do with a prodigal? I think Monica can help us. She pleaded with Augustine. She warned him and exhorted him. She sought counsel, seeking out the local pastor, the local bishop. Um, She did everything she could to get him to come and visit and, and listen to the preaching. She did all she could to persuade to dissuade from decisions, he didn't, he, most of the time he didn't listen to her. For a while she had to break contact with him because of the way he was living. But she never broke contact in prayer. She sought out help, she sought out counsel, and she sought out the Lord. And I think that's the most important thing we can take away when we think about this woman. She was a woman of incredible prayer, passionate, persevering prayer. And the way she dealt with this wanton, wandering prodigal, was she kept him in prayer. Because it's God that changes the heart. And that's that's so much of, of what we need to always understand. We can do what we can do. And she tried all she could do. But it must be the Lord that changes the heart. From his confessions, uh, a couple more lines. He said this for almost nine years longer, uh, speaking of another period than that I wallowed in the slime of that deep pit in the darkness of lies. That's his describing himself to wallow in the slime of the deep pit and the darkness of lies I often thought about climbing out of that pit but each time I was knocked back and down violently And sometimes you'll encounter some that realize this this life is ruinous I've got to get out of here but they're trying to get their own strength all this time that chaste godly and sober widow although encouraged with hope did not stop weeping and mourning nor did she stop laying my case out to you at all hours in her devotions. Now, it's speaking to God. Saying, Father, you know. The, you know my sin. And you know how my mother wouldn't leave you alone. And you can see some of the angels in heaven saying, oh boy, <laughs> that isn't the case. And I love the words of the Bishop of Carthage when she came. The wisdom, first of all, saying... He's not ready for argument. Have you ever had that where you've you've laid out the best of arguments and it doesn't get anywhere? Because unbelief is more an issue of the will than of the mind. Yes, information, God's word is powerful. But the problem is the will. And he could see this man's arrogant will was not ready. Keep praying. So he said, go your way. God bless you. It's not possible the son of these tears should perish. This man saw a woman that wasn't going to let go. When I think of that, I think of, remember Eli when he saw Hannah, Samuel's mother, out there praying. She was so passionate in her prayer, and there was so little passionate prayer at that time in Israel, he thought she must be drunk. (laughs) He went and rebuked her and said, What are you doing here at the temple in such condition? And she said, You don't understand my heart and as soon as she started speaking he recognized like a monica a passion he said god god will may god give you the child you long for go your way god bless you it's not possible the son of these tears should perish so the word i give us for a monica and for all of us is the power of persistent uh, Persevering prayer. We don't give up while there's still life. We pray. Pray fervently, pray lovingly. Use words as much as they can be received, but learning too when there's a time to just take your words to the Lord. But on Mother's Day, I think of a Monica as a great example of a mother who had a very challenging and hard life. But her love for the Lord kept her on the battlefield. And history can thank Monica for the gift of Augustine. Father, we thank you for how you raised up this giant. You gave him the intellect that was so powerful. You exposed him to the teachers and thinking that would refine his mind. Father, you brought him to yourself and chose to do that through the witness of some like Ambrose and through the prayers and witness of a mother that would not give up on him. Father, I pray your encouragement for the mothers of our church, the mothers who hear this, that you might give them courage, that you might give them comfort, that you might give them the power to persevere in prayer. Father, we pray for those prodigals that may be brought to our heart and mind at this time. We lift them to you and ask for you to move in their lives. Give us grace, give us wisdom, and Father, for each of us, we thank you for reaching out to us as we wandered in darkness and bringing us into the light and into Christ. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.